Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is Monday, October 9th, 2023. Yeah, we're, we're getting close to 2024. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. But anyways, it is Monday. It's a holiday. It is Indigenous Peoples Day. It's also, I guess, Thanksgiving in Canada. So I guess happy Thanksgiving to my Canadian friends out there. Anyways, uh, today I want to talk about well, some updates of what's going on, obviously, between Israel and different groups in the area. I also then want to talk about the Iranian connection here, why I'm worried that some people might try to might try to warmonger about Iran, blame Iran, maybe escalate affairs with Iran. I also want to talk about whether Iran was involved in planning these attacks, or at least helping coordinate these attacks. And yeah, we'll get into all of that. First, I did want to start on kind of a lighter note. I guess it's light depending how you feel about bugs and bed bugs specifically. But I did want to talk about this maybe over exaggerated but somewhat real infestation of bed bugs in Paris. And I will just say, I've been to Paris a couple times. Um, it's not the cleanest of the big cities. And it's, I think, the most visited European city. Um, in 2022, I saw it was the most visited European city, at least. So you have a lot of people coming. Old city, kind of dirty city, and seems like just a perfect place for bed bugs because people are traveling. Oop. Sorry, we got Siri talking to me there. But anyways, yeah, it just seems like the perfect place for a bed bug infestation because people are coming from all over the world. Old, hot, dirty, blah, blah, blah. I will say Paris actually... Kind of my hot take about Paris, not my favorite city in Europe, and not even in my top like 10. But people like it, city of love, you gotta go there, it's worth seeing. So anyways, I will start by just uh, getting into some of the details here. The Independent writes in an article out yesterday, Lovers beware, Paris has been engulfed by an infestation of bedbugs with authorities warning no one is safe, dun dun dun. The article continues, Footage of the blood-sucking insects has horrified TikTok users, leading to some standing on the infested Parisian metro instead of sitting on the fabric seats or posting warnings about the creepy critters swarming all over their Airbnb rentals. The article continues, speaking to French TV station LCI, Deputy Mayor of Paris, Emmanuel Gregory, called the infestation widespread. And I was on my Instagram Reels because I do not have TikTok, but I guess I do have the Reels, so basically the same thing. But I was watching last night some, some Reels, and people were showing, like, movie theaters had bedbugs all over, the metro seats, Airbnbs. No one's safe, guys. And look, now there are worries, of course, that the bedbugs might spread to London. Because we have to remember, it's like a two-hour trip, right? And some people even take day trips there. And also, from my understanding, a lot of bed bugs can last for months on months, even up to like half a year. And they can hitch rides in dirty suitcases, clothing. So pretty easy for them to get from Paris to London, right? And I, I also read reports, and I, I know people that, you know, maybe live in the UK and take a day trip to Paris. Don't even stay in the hotels, but maybe sit on the metro or whatever. So yeah, I mean, I, I think this, is, this could be the beginning of the bed bugs 2023 Euro Tour which is always fun. And someone was also telling me, and I think this is a good point, is that with the uptick in global travel over the last, over the last, last couple years, I can't speak, it is not really surprising that we're seeing more of these mass infestations and the spreading of bugs and diseases and all this stuff. Globalized world, people traveling a lot, these type of things are going to happen, right? So 
Some other things, though, that I found kind of interesting about this is that, so Paris Fashion Week, I guess, just wrapped up. I know it was going on. I don't follow that stuff, but Paris Fashion Week was happening, and that's probably one of the reasons maybe why this infestation happened or got worse, because you had people from all over the world coming to this massive event, and because it, I mean, if you look at when this infestation started to get reported, it was during Paris Fashion Week. Now, Maybe one could argue that it was just because you had more influencers there and people filming everything. Maybe this has been going on for a while, but just all the tourists and influencers there were able to really cover this more and maybe overreact or overexaggerate, whatever. But Paris has always had bed bugs, so probably just got worse during Paris Fashion Week. And now some interesting stuff, though, is that it seems like these, like bed bugs in general, have become more resistant to insecticides, which makes them pretty resilient. Out of the things that can, you know, infest your house and become a pain in the ass, bed bugs are pretty up there on nuisance, like big top tier nuisance. Like not because they're going to spread, you know, human diseases or, you know, spread bug diseases to humans or do anything like that, but they're kind of hard to kill. You have to really wash them in hot temperatures for like 30 minutes and, you know, make sure the detergent actually gets on them and their eggs. They're kind of a pain in the ass and they're also kind of a psychological pain in the ass. Like, even if you think they're gone, are they gone, blah, blah, blah. But it sounds like these new bed bugs are kind of more resistant to a lot of the ways we've treated them. So that mixed with people coming from all over the world and now leaving Paris, I think has some people worry that this may become kind of a bed bug Euro tour or maybe even the bed bugs global tour. Now, I don't know how much we need to freak out. The Economist says that, you know, Paris has always had a lot of bed bugs. Like, of the cities, it's it's had a problem like this for quite some time, and it also talks about how okay there might be more bed bugs than usual. There might be some sort of an infestation, but it talks about how the chronic public anxiety is all out of proportion to the threat. It writes here in quotes: "Bed bug infestations are highly unpleasant to deal with, not least psychologically. But the bugs do not spread disease to human, and skin welts do not rain it remain itchy for long." And it does sound like. Even if there are more bed bugs than usual, and obviously it's very unpleasant, it sounds like the French authorities are taking this seriously. There are people that do this for a living. It does sound like this might be a big social media overreaction because I mainly heard about this over social media. But either way, I think, I think the more telling thing here is that as we see global travel resume, we see more people going around the world. We will see nature spread with it, which includes bed bugs. And we'll also see certain types of bugs and organisms learn how to adapt to insecticides and other chemicals that we use to treat them. So this is, I think, just kind of a story of modernity in a sense, but we'll move on. But hopefully the bedbugs tour is cut short. They don't spread throughout Europe, ruin travel, because I wouldn't mind getting back over there at some time. So anyways, I guess there's ways just check. Don't put your suitcase on your bed and clean everything. <laughs> That's all I can say. And Hey, at least the bed bugs have good taste. Euro, you know, French Fashion Week, not the worst time to start an infestation, right? Anyways, getting to the darker stuff, had to start with something a little bit lighter, I guess, depending how you feel about bugs. But I want to move on to kind of Israel, Hamas, Iran, how the Biden administration's reacting, just give some updates and new events that we've learned about. So to start with an update, things are getting much worse between Israel and Palestinian groups like Hamas. Um, for example, Hamas said it would start executing Israeli captives, which, I mean, I think is stupid on their behalf. It's also careless. We have to remember, though, these are terrorists, so that's what terrorists do. 
but they said they would start executing Israeli captives if Israel continues to bomb civilian houses in Gaza without warning. I mean, <laughs> this is one of those self-fulfilling prophecies, I guess, in a sense, like you take hostages, you kill a lot of Israelis in what they're calling Israel's 9-11, and then you get mad when Israel responds, which is already quite nationalist and quite aggressive towards the Palestinians. I mean, it's it's going to happen, right? I, I, that's why I think this was all a stupid, stupid chain of events by Hamas and the other groups that helped them. I really do. But anyways, The Economist writes, Earlier on Monday, Israel ordered a complete siege of the Gaza Strip, cutting off food, electricity, and fuel. Again, I think this was something we could have predicted, right? And then the article continues. Officials in Gaza said that airstrikes have killed around 560 Palestinians. A further 124,000 have been displaced from their homes, according to UN reports. I mean, that's a lot of people. But then again, if you see some of the videos and footage that's come out of there, not particularly surprising based on the bombings we've seen. That's the thing here is that, you know, the IDF and Israeli intelligence clearly wasn't ready for this multifaceted assault by Hamas and other groups. But now we have to remember that Israel is just more technologically advanced. And so when they strike back, they are really going to strike back. And so none of this is particularly surprising to me. Now, the other thing here I was reading is that Israel's now calling up about 300,000 reservists. And I think the assumption would be that this is an indication that they're going to launch a pretty damn big offensive in Gaza. This is something I talked about in yesterday's episode. Pretty predictable that we were we are going to see an escalation. Again, the, the big conversation is around, does this lead to a bigger regional war? Or does this lead to a pretty brutal but brief conflict between Israel and groups like Hamas? And it's just too early to tell, but 300,000 reservists... Uh, Palestine thre or Hamas threatening to kill hostages, not good. And then also, I think I saw about nine Americans have been killed in this as well because the State Department, as well as the Biden administration and other groups, have been trying to compile that information. But yes, some Americans have been killed. We're not sure if there's American hostages at this time from what I was reading, but there have been Americans that have been involved in this as well. And so then, you know, now that kind of brings the U.S. into this more. I mean, we already have a stake in this, wanting to protect Israel. But now, you know, if, if Americans are involved in this as well, it does kind of up the rhetoric, I think, in a sense, and up our willingness to pr protect and defend Israel. And more updates. The IDF, Israel Defense Forces, said that they did kill armed infiltrators, that were coming in from Lebanon, so never good news, but it backs up what I was talking about yesterday, how there has been some cross-border fighting. Also Hezbollah, right, the Iran-backed group inside of Lebanon, they call them militants, they're terrorists. Um, Hezbollah's denied any involvement in the attempted breach, but we do have to remember that it shelled Israeli military positions yesterday, so I mean, my theory is that there is some coordination here. I don't know if directly from Iran, but it does seem like groups like Hezbollah, Hamas, um, there's clearly someone at least giving them aid in the green light here. And we'll get to that later. But also the Palestinian territories getting even worse for them because the EU has suspended aid to the territories, placing about 700 million euros, which is $730 million of development funding under review. So they're basically freezing development aid to Palestine. Germany and Austria have really been spearheading this, quite against giving any investment aid, development aid. And again, this is one of those tragic things where Hamas is just fucking things up for 
the people inside of the Palestinian territories that just need aid and development and some sort of hope for the future. And all of that is being lost. Now, you know, you have over 120 grand of people um, without a home displaced. You have probably over a thousand by this time dead destruction. Now you're not even getting development funding aid. I mean, th- this is why this is a Pyrrhic victory. It makes Iran look strong. All the, all the Arab countries that hate Israel are happy, but the people inside of Palestine are really going to get screwed by this. Now, moving on, I'm kind of curious what happens next for the Biden administration. As I talked about yesterday, Jake Sullivan talked about how the Middle East had been pretty quiet for a while, and it seemed like the violence was kind of calming down over the last couple of years, and there was a lot more normalization of trade, shared intelligence, shared science and technology. The United States was trying to start brokering a deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel. We saw the United States doing new technological funding to Saudi Arabia. It just seemed like there was a growing period of quiet. And it seems like pretty much now all of Biden's Middle East policies and the agenda that's kind of happened since the Abraham Accords under Trump is all up in the air. And it's a big problem. And, you know, the Biden administration has pretty much granted freedom of action to Israel after what's happened, which I guess, what what else are you going to do, right? But um, since the attacks, Biden has pretty much just sent out full support for for what is going to be happening down the road. And we've obviously sent sent um, military ships into the region. And so it seems like we are kind of just going to allow Israel do what they want. And I, I do think that one of my concerns is that the Biden administration has kind of distanced itself from Benjamin Netanyahu, especially after Israel's kind of turn to the nationalist far right has happened over the last year. So Biden's minimized contact with Netanyahu in recent months. So that's why it's going to be a little bit harder to know what's actually happening on the ground and to try to actually have a, like some maybe some difficult conversations. So that's why it seems like right now Biden is just kind of you know communicating with Netanyahu a little bit, putting out statements and just kind of letting them do their thing. And either way, though, most of Biden's Middle East policies, strategies, attempts at peace have all been upended. As I said earlier, brokering a peace deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia probably on hold now because Saudi Arabia hasn't like been like Iran and celebrated what happened, but they did put out a statement basically reminding Israel to not be too aggressive and to not respond with too much force. So this makes me wonder if now it's like one step forward, like 30 steps backwards in terms of Israel and Saudi Arabia. Um, as I talked about yesterday, <laughs> the two-state solution, I actually never thought it was going to happen, but now it really looks like it's never going to happen. And also, you know, the the hope of a less hostile relationship with Iran is probably the biggest biggest backtrack we're going to see here. It seems improbable in every way possible. And now we're probably going to have to focus as well on Iran. And now we can't turn away from the Middle East, even though probably the bigger issues right now are Russia and China, right? And Iran's influence, Saudi Arabia's influence as well, I think, in places like Yemen, all huge issues. And of course, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So I'm certain we can do all of this at once. But it's just kind of a shame because the world is less safe. It's more chaotic. And now we do have to get back and sort of involved as the peacekeeper in a region that we probably wanted to give some more independence to. And then you also have to remember that Hamas's assault has really kind of mobilized and created admiration among some Arab states. And 
then Israel's going to obviously probably fire back, and the expected retribution is probably going to piss off even more Arabs. And I think this could really cause way less peace in the region. And part of me wonders if groups like Hamas wanted to do this on purpose for that reason, you know, creating tragedy, indiscriminate killing inside of Israel is going to cause a response. And then if that response is heavy-handed, maybe a lot of the people that were going to make normalized deals with Israel now pull out. So maybe, maybe that was Hamas's deal. Chaos. Just make sure Israel's the pariah here. And, I mean, I don't think Israel's the pariah. Hamas here is the pariah. But it's all perspective, especially with some of these Arab countries, right? And I think... I think there's also the bigger political danger here for Biden, and this is the fury that we're seeing against Iran. Obviously, Trump is already now blaming Biden's, I guess, easy rhetoric towards Iran and also then unfreezing billions of dollars after that hostage deal in September that I talked about yesterday. And this is tough because I think the American right and actually, I mean, a lot of people in the world want to be able to blame Iran for this. And according to all reports, both the Israeli governments and the American governments right now say there's no direct evidence of Iran being involved in planning the operation. I think it's really going to be complicated and very murky here because Iran is an important supporter of Hamas. It also despises Israel and is very involved in propping up groups in the region that can help to destabilize Israel. So, I mean, I think Occam's razor would be that maybe Iran didn't, didn't um, you know, help fire the rockets wasn't directly involved in there, but maybe they helped bring different regional groups together to plan this and greenlit it. That would be that would be what I would think here because Iran does have its hands all over these anti-Israeli groups. And of course, Republicans though are drawing a very direct connection between the attack on Israel, Biden's policies towards Iran. Obviously Biden, speaking of why Biden's going to have some more issues too, he wanted to, you know, basically revive the Iran nuclear deal, that's not probably going to happen anymore. And now it, it does seem more likely that Iran is, you know, getting closer to make a nuclear bomb and probably wants to. And, I mean, the Wall Street Journal had an interesting piece that I was reading this morning. came out last night, but I was reading it today. And it does say that according to what they have compiled report-wise, it says that according to senior members of Hamas and Hezbollah, Iran helped plan the attack on Israel and did give the green light for the assault. And this all happened in a meeting in Beirut last week. And other unnamed sources have been reported by the BBC and CNN saying similar things. And even a Hamas uh, spokesperson did tell the BBC that Israel basically held a meeting, I mean, not Israel, sorry, Iran basically held a meeting in Beirut last week to at least talk about this. And I mean... An assault like this had to obviously have been planned for quite some time. So I guess it wouldn't be surprising if maybe the final meeting did happen there. And then when you look at, you know, Hezbollah firing rockets at Israel territories from Lebanon, it, it does have Iranian stench of, of involvement all over it. So Iran, of course, has kind of done two things. It's it's applauded the attack and said it's glorious against the, as it calls, the Zionist regime. It's, so it's, it's expressed support for what's happened, but then also put out statements saying that it was not involved. Kind of hard to believe when they're so happy about what happened because we have to remember that I think Iran's the major winner of these attacks. So are they, are they putting out statements of happiness about the attacks just because it's good for them or because they're glad they happened because they were involved? Kind of a tough one. Kind of a tough one. And 
I just haven't unfortunately seen any direct evidence enough for us to actually start like really getting towards saber rattling towards Iran, right? I, I don't think we're there yet. I I kind of worry though that because I've even just talked to people in my personal life over the last 24 hours and they all say this is directly Iran's fault and Iran needs to be punished. And I think until we have direct evidence, we need to kind of take a deep breath here because I could I could imagine there being kind of a mass mobilization of Iran war hawks in D.C. that want to blame Iran and maybe attack Iran or do some sort of intervention against Iran. And I, I think we need to kind of take some deep breaths, slow down and not do that because we know how that happens when you get groupthink going on inside of inside of our military institutions and inside of our politics, and we don't want to we don't want a war with Iran. So we need to take some deep breaths here and at least let the evidence come out because this is a very very volatile situation, probably one of the most volatile I've seen in the region. That being said, though, whether or not Iran does have ties with Hamas, it just seems to me likely that it propped the organization up because. I was reading about this yesterday, but Tehran, obviously capital of Iran, it does offer Hamas membership in what I would call kind of this axis of resistance. It's kind of this anti-Israeli club, and there's different groups across the region, and that's why Iran is so involved here. That's kind of why we've seen these like proxy wars between Israel and Iran and Israel and Saudi Arabia going on in Yemen, for example. But the Atlantic writes here in quotes, the axis of resistance counts the membership of Houthis in Yemen Hezbollah in Lebanon, and various Iraqi and Syrian militias. As others have pointed out, Tehran's arming of these forces with its advanced missile technology has changed the face of warfare in the region. And then the article also talks about how it does seem like Hamas is obviously part of this group, so it would be crazy to try to argue that Hamas hasn't at least got some aid or support from these groups. And so then in a sense, you know, Iran's fingerprints might be at least somewhat all over this, I was also reading an interesting piece by Ali Hashem, who is a Lebanese um, correspondent, and she works for Algeria, Al Jazeera, sorry, and she is an expert on um, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and its regional alliances. We have to remember this group is kind of the one that goes around funding groups that can help the Iranian regime and take down groups like Israel. I would say it's kind of a borderline, almost terrorist regime itself, and and she. She says the attacks were probably an Axis decision. So maybe that could be confirmed that there was a meeting in Beirut where the Iranians didn't want to be directly involved, but the Axis all met and were like, okay, it's time to do this. It, it does seem more and more like that. Now, I don't, <laughs> when I hear Axis of any times, I think of the Axis of evil and the Bush rhetoric during the Iraq days. We don't want that happening again. So again, I think we need to be measured, calm. So far, it seems like the Biden administration has been. I don't, I mean, again, it's just too early to tell. I think we what we really need to do is make sure that there's no saber-rattling yet at Iran or any insane reactive actions taken towards Iran at this moment. And we also, though, need to see how bad it gets in Gaza and in Israel. And I worry that if they start killing Israeli hostages, things going to fire up really quick. So that's why I am actually glad we have Biden and his, you know, kind of moderated calm, expert-based approach right now and not maybe the Trump 2.0 administration where we could probably see some impulsive decisions happening. So anyways, let me know your thoughts. Do you think Iran is directly involved in this? Do you think it's too early to tell? Should we wait? How do we handle this? <laughs> A lot of questions I have myself, so feel free to reach out. As always, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Take care. Probably be back later, if not tomorrow. Take care.